Welcome to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app for both iOS and Android devices by searching for The Church at Bushland. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know by emailing us at media at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen, amen. I love the house of God. Um, it's been a long, long time since I've preached. I've been in ministry full-time for, um, well, full-time, 23 years, but doing ministry for 25 years. And I used to preach all the time, and I, um, I haven't done it in quite a while, so I may be a little rusty. I need to forewarn you, if you're the type of person that was really looking forward to getting out late because there was such a long sermon and you didn't have to wait in line at the restaurant because you were there after everybody had left, I'm so sorry you're going to be disappointed. I can barely pay attention to myself for 25 minutes, much less preach that long, so I'm just messing with you. I've also started out every single sermon I've ever preached over the years with a churchy joke. And so thank you, Dad, for all those emails that you've sent me over the years. They have finally come into good use. So here we go. The minister was preoccupied with thoughts of how he was going to ask the congregation to come up with more money than they were expecting for repairs to the church building. Therefore, he was annoyed to find that the regular organist was sick and a substitute had been brought in at the very last minute. The substitute wanted to know what to play. Here's a copy of the service, he said impatiently, but you'll have to think of something to play after I make the announcement about the finances. So during the service, the minister paused and said, brothers and sisters, we are in great peril. The roof repairs cost twice as much as we expected, and we need another $4,000 for the repairs. Any of you who can pledge $100 or more, please stand up. At that moment, the substitute organist began to play the Star Spangled Banner. (laughs) And that is how the substitute became the regular organist. (laughs) Oh, man, I love corny jokes. We're going to talk about worship today. My favorite subject in the world, probably. Um, At first, when I put this message together, I was actually worried about having enough material. And then as I got into it, I thought, oh, Lord, how am I going to get all this done in this short amount of time? Because there's so much. The Bible is full, chock full from cover to cover about worship. It's just something so glorious. Um, So I'll have to skip through some parts today. But I'm going to try to get across what I want to. I wanted to start with the definition of worship, defining worship. I've read tons of books. I've heard lots of pastors preach on what they believe the definition of worship is. And I'm going to give you the simplest one I've ever probably heard because less is more. And so 
It's just two words, but this is the definition of worship in my opinion. Love expressed. If it's not love, it's not worship. And if we don't let it out and express it to our God, it's not worship. So it's love and it has to be expressed. You know, the Bible is full of um, symbolism and marriage seems to be a common theme throughout the Bible. It's a big deal. Actually, he refers to us as the bride of Christ. And I know men, that may seem a little bit weird calling ourselves a bride, but it's actually what we are. We, he is our husband and he and we are his bride. We're the bride of Christ. I wanna ask you, who's married in this room? Let me see a show of hands, please. All right, you can put those down. Here's the question. If all you did was ever think about how much you love your spouse, but you never expressed it, you just thought it and felt it, would you still be married? The answer is no. You probably wouldn't be married because someone who doesn't express their love to you, you just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't probably last, right? But I'm telling you, it's no different with our relationship with the Lord. He's a relational God, and he wants us, his bride, to express our love to him, and that's what worship is, love expressed. Um, number two, why do we worship? I'm a simple type of guy, and so I came up with a simple answer to that. I'm lower, and he's higher. And that's the bottom line. He's God, and I'm not. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. He is the king of glory, and I am not. Worship starts with humility. That is the beginning of worship. What's the very beginning of worship look like? James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you guys, but I need every ounce of grace I can possibly get into my life. Amen? It starts with humility. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So that's how worship starts. It starts with a humble heart, knowing that he is God, and we are not. All right, let's get going. Number three, what happens when we worship? A lot happens. There's tons of Bible stories. They're not stories. They're historical references um, about what happens when the people of God worship. But I chose one of my favorites. Uh, If you brought your Bible today, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 22. But before we start there, I want to give you a little bit of backstory to save us some time in our reading. What is happening here is Paul and Silas are traveling around the region preaching the word of God, and they get to this one place, and a woman, a demon-possessed woman, is following Paul and Silas around and basically harassing them, and she's giving them grief. She's doing stuff. I don't know what all she was doing, but it wasn't good. So finally, Paul 
I like Paul. Paul's awesome. Paul gets mad. And he's like, I'm done with this. And so he casts the demon out of this woman. Well, lo and behold, that causes a problem because the woman was making this group of men money by being demon-possessed. She was fortune-telling for them. She was doing, I don't know what all she was doing, but it wasn't good, but she was making them some cash. And so now these guys don't have the income. They don't have the cash coming in, so they're mad. And so this is where we're picking up. Verse 22, then the multitude rose up together against them, against Paul and Silas and the magistrates. They tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. It's pretty serious. And when they laid many stripes on them, look at your neighbor and say many. Not just a few. It's not like, hey, you got a speeding ticket or you're getting thrown in the drunk take tonight. Like you, we're going to beat you. We're going to beat you. We're going to rip your clothes off and we're going to throw you, listen to this, to the inner part of the prison. They didn't just like put them a night in jail. He said, many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks, which I'm assuming is the metal shackles like, you know, you see on the movies, whatever. Paul, at midnight in Silas, Paul and Silas were complaining and licking their wounds. Is that what y'all says? I must have a different Bible. That's not what mine says either. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. We could just stop right there and have a sermon. When life does not go the way you think it's going to go, what comes out of you? Anger? That's, I'm guilty of that. All kinds of stuff. But you know what came out of Paul and Silas? Worship and prayer. Worship and prayer when things weren't going the way they wanted it or thought it was going to go, that's what came out. And then some miraculous start, stuff starts happening. Let's pick it up. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice and said, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. They took them to the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized now when they brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. Just a few subpoints here. Number one, praise changes the earth. 
An earthquake happened. Miracles began to happen. When? When Paul and Silas began to praise and worship the Lord in their prison. I'm telling you, praise changes the earth. When I first got saved, there was a mighty revival taking place in South America and Argentina. A man named Carlos Anacondia um, was the, the evangelist of this revival. And I actually went and saw it and was a part of it. And it was unbelievable. They said that the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the land in such a way that it even changed their crops. I saw pictures of their carrots that used to look like the carrots that we buy at United. They didn't look like that anymore. They were literally from their fingertips up to their chest. Their carrots were like this long. The jails closed down. Every Friday night, they had a... Um, a worship event at the big soccer arena, and Martin Smith and Delirious led worship, and thousands and thousands of people. It changed their their city socially, economically, and their even their crops. I'm telling you, praise and worship. The Spirit of God will change every single thing it touches, and that is awesome. I witnessed it with my own eyes. Number two, praise changed their situation. They went from being shackled in chains and beaten to sitting in a man's house eating, and the whole place got saved. Come on. Number three, that's what happened. Praise releases salvation in the earth. Let me tell you, Praise and worship is not songs that happen that we sing on Sunday or driving down the road. Praise and worship is a powerful moment that releases the Spirit of God to do mighty things in the earth, and people will be transformed when we worship the Most High God. Number four, praise makes demons flee. I love this. I'm going to skip to the Old Testament when in 1 Samuel 16, uh, King Saul who was not doing things right, who was not serving God. The Lord had allowed a demonic spirit to basically hinder him in his life. And then you have this young, ruddy boy. I don't even know what ruddy means, but that's what he was. I guess it means good looking. He played, so it's a young worship leader that played the guitar. Hallelujah. That's what I was thinking. So David, he calls in this young, good looking worship leader that plays guitar. And it says, David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. I'm telling you, praise and worship will make demons flee. When you come to church and experience the presence of God, do you feel refreshed when you leave? Do you feel well when you leave? You should, because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to refresh you and make you well, and silence the mouth of the enemy. Come on, I'm telling you, the, the enemy's shouting, but in our minds, praise and worship will calm that storm. It'll shut the mouth of the enemy just like that. Praise will make you strong. Praise and worship will make you strong. Did you guys know that there are two realms in this earth? We live in the physical realm where I can see, I can touch, I can taste, I can hear everything that's going on around us. You know, if I drop that water bottle, it'll fall gravity. There's this physical realm that's very real, right? Amen. Okay. Number two, 
there is a spiritual realm that is just as real as the physical realm. It's just invisible. We can't see it. We can't hear it. We can't smell it, but it's there. I believe with all that's within me that if the Lord was to open our eyes, even just for a moment, that we would, we would be freaked out beyond imagination. There's angels and demons and spiritual warfare and all this stuff going on around us that we're oblivious to for the most part, but it is just as real. So here's my question. I know what I look like in the physical. A little flabbier working on a food baby, you know? Not quite as raring to go as I used to be. But I just thought, when I was putting this together, I thought, wonder what I look like in the spirit. And then this vision came to me. And I thought, I bet this is what I look like in the spirit. <laughs> I bet he's like, pity the fool who's weak in the spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mr. T's bad. He's awesome. And I'm telling you, in the spirit, what do you look like? I hope I look like that. <laughs> Hallelujah. I got a couple of friends, my cello player. I was, I'm telling you, I, I went to WT as a music major and all these orchestra and band nerds were around me, you know what I'm saying? I, was, I can say that because I'm one of them. Nobody laughed at that. All right, whatever. So no cello player ever once looked like Trent Taylor. Like, if you go up to that man and like, hey man, how's it going? And you put, his, put your hand on his arm or his back, you're like, bro. Is there anything in there but bone and muscle? My Lord. Like, it's just solid rock. And I'm telling you, that's how I hope I am in the spirit. I want to be a giant in the spirit. I want to say something to you, and I want to say it in love. If the only time you worship and the only time you get in the word is on Sunday, you are living in less than God has for you. Quit depending upon others to provide worship for you. Quit depending upon others to spoon feed the word of God to you because God's kingdom is not a welfare kingdom. Woo, I love you. I, lo I love you. But I'm telling you the truth in love. Quit depending upon others to provide that for you and start worshiping yourself, and start getting in the word yourself, and you'll look like Mr. T in the spirit. Come on. Y'all still with me? Still love me? Nah. Number six, praise changes your perspective. Are you a turkey or an eagle? Both are birds. However, one spends its life mostly on the ground, once in a while flying up in a little tree, just basically waiting to get shot so I can eat that sucker. But an eagle is not living that way. An eagle stretches out its wings and allows the wind to come up under it, and it soars into a different place and therefore has a different perspective than the turkey. Which one are you? A turkey or an eagle? I believe all the turkey sees is everything that's going on right down on the ground. Wars, rumors of wars, 
nakedness, perils, famines, all the things that the Bible talks about we're going to be living in in the end times. And that's the only perspective it has. But I believe an eagle is representative of what the Lord, how he wants us to view life. He wants us to have a higher perspective, amen? I'll never forget my first airplane ride. I was in elementary school. I'd always wanted to fly, and I had a fiery, she's no longer with this grandma, who was full-blooded Italian, Sicilian, about four foot something tall, and I just, she was awesome, man. And she took me out of school, knew I wanted to fly. She flew me to Dallas. We ate lunch and then flew home and was home by 3 p.m. And that's all we did. And so I got to school the next day and my friend said, hey, where were you? So you're sick. I was like, no, nah, I wasn't sick, man. I flew to Dallas, ate lunch and flew back. And they're like, you're a liar. I said, I am not lying. I promise you, I flew to Dallas and ate lunch and came back. They never did believe me, but I didn't care. But listen to this. I'll never forget looking out the window for the first time at 30-something thousand feet and seeing life from a different perspective. And even at that young age, the Lord was speaking to me, look, look how everything's different. It's all about perspective. Which perspective do you have? Let the wind of God's Spirit get under your wings and lift you up out of this miry clay and get a higher perspective. All right, moving on back to the main points. Those were just sub points, by the way. What does worship look like? This is the part today that unfortunately I'm gonna have to speed through because there's so many different expressions of worship biblically in the Bible that there's no way I could get through all of them. So I'm just gonna, if you took, if you brought a pen and paper and wanna write down some of these scriptures, feel free to do that, but I'm just gonna kind of run through these here. First one I put is lifting hands. Psalm 134, two says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Psalm 141, two says, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up as my hands as the evening sacrifice. Uh, Lamentations 341, let us lift our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Please notice that it does not say if you are comfortable lifting your hands, then go ahead and do it. I've been guilty of that a thousand times. It does not say if your religious background lines up with the lifting of hands, then go ahead and do it. I'm so sorry to step on your toes. I'm just telling you the word of God. Lift your hands and bless the Lord in the house of God. That's what it says. It's just a sign of surrender. It's as simple as that. Um, Bowing down, Nehemiah 8, 6, and Ezra, bless the Lord, the great God, Then all the people answered, amen and amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Psalm 95, 6, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Clapping, Psalm 47, 1, oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph for the Lord most high. He is awesome. He is the great king over all the earth, shouting. I love this, Psalm 511, but let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defended them. Let those who also love 
your name be joyful in you. Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 33, 3, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. I have like 10 more scriptures I could read on that, but I'm not going to. But I am going to tell you a true story about shouting. A pastor that I know in Dallas, he, their church is pretty lively, and the worship's probably similar to what we have here, and, you know, shouting and clapping and all that kind of stuff. And he had an elder that he noticed during worship was just about like that, and standing there real solemnly. And so finally, he thought, you know what? I better take him to lunch. I don't think he's very happy. So he took him to lunch and said, hey, I noticed uh, during church, you know, you just kind of stand there like this. He said, you just not like our worship? You don't like our worship, Pastor? He said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I love our worship. I love our worship, Pastor. I love all the expressions of worship in the church. It's just awesome. It's awesome. He said, I'm, I'm just of a reverent nature. And the pastor said, okay, that's cool. And so a few weeks passed, and the elder called the pastor back up and said, hey, I got tickets to the Cowboys game. You want to come with me? He said, oh, yeah, we'll go. So they're sitting by each other at the Cowboys game, and I know you all will absolutely not believe this, but touchdown. I know. It's a miracle. At that moment, all 80,000 people stood up, and the pastor, on purpose, he just stayed in his seat arms folded. The elder looked down and said, what's wrong with you? He said, I'm just of a reverent nature. (laughs) And the guy thought, I got it. I got it. Singing. I've been leading worship for 25 years, and I am absolutely telling you the truth. You guys right here in Bushland, America are the best singers I've ever heard in my life. Keep it up. You guys are awesome. Psalm 30 verse 4 says, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Psalm 30 verse 12, to the end that my glory may sing your praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Uh, Psalm 33 3, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. And my favorite, Psalm 47, 6, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. Dancing. I know we're not much of a dancing church, but wherever Jake Cramner is, thank you, Jake, because you are awesome. Psalm 149 says, let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. Psalm 150, verse 4, praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. I'm telling you, you can dance before the Lord and it'd be all right. Now, let me just warn you, if you do happen to see somebody next Sunday dancing before the Lord, you better not judge them because I'm telling you, there's a story about that I'm going to let you write down the scripture because I don't have time to read it. 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 14, David, he got after it. The presence of the Lord came back to his city, and he danced a dance. And his wife did not like it one bit, and she told him all about it. You need to read that story. It's pretty awesome. So be careful 
about judging somebody else's worship because you might be wrong. Hmm. Um, Playing instruments. Psalm 150 says, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with, I love this, cymbals and a big bass drum. Praise him with the fiddles and mandolin. Let every living, breathing creature praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, Reverence. Reverence is a way of worship. Psalm 89, 7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. And the last scripture I'll give you on this is Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know that I am God. So many different expressions. I know I didn't get to all of them, but those are the highlight of them. There's just not simply enough time to talk about it. But obviously, if the Bible is so full of it, it is a big deal to him. Amen? All right. Number five, what keeps us from worship? Maybe a better way to say that would be, what is our greatest hindrance of worship? Well, I believe it's fear and shame. Those two are so intertwined and connected, fear and shame. We'll start with the fear of man, fear of what someone might say or what someone might think. Proverbs 29, 25. And by the way, there's no judgment for that. I think we've all felt that at some point, uh, especially maybe when we were new believers. Hmm. I remember feeling that. But it says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I love the message version of the same verse, Proverbs 29, 25, says the fear of human opinion disables. I'll never forget a friend, I won't tell you his name, he said, you know, I had Velcro on my hands. He said, I, I just couldn't raise them. It was like they were Velcroed to my side. He said, and one day, I just thought, oh, whatever. And I ripped that Velcro off and my hands came up. He said, it was the most freeing thing I've ever felt. Like he broke free from that fear of man and what people might think. I love that story because he hmm, experienced some freedom in his life in the presence of the Lord. And I love that. Um, it really comes down to, do you respect and honor what God thinks more than man? Second thing is shame, which is closely related to fear. I want to set you free from something this morning. I remember when the Lord began to speak to me years ago about the work he did on the cross and how final that work really was. Because some weeks or days, we just really feel on top, like we're winning, like we're a godly man or a godly woman doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, you know? Anybody have those days? Just like, boom, yes, hallelujah. Gave to the poor, got somebody saved, laid hands on somebody, they got healed, hallelujah, glory. You know, you just have those, if you could line your days up and be like, this one right here, mm-hmm, that, that's the one. I was a man of God that day. Yeah. But what if you lined them all up and picked out the worst one? 
Like, nope, I totally failed that day. I totally missed the mark. I yelled at that person, cut them off. Good thing I didn't have that sticker on the back of my car. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm saying. You mess up. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then you come to church and your worship's affected because in your mind, you've done something different. Let me set you free this morning. You are the righteousness of Christ because of what he did on the cross, not because of you or anything you've ever done or didn't do. It was a free gift of salvation that he paid for on Calvary. And you, my friend, do not have to live in shame, period. So quit letting that in your mind affect your worship or anything else you do. I was thinking about uh, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, it, it really, you know, they had basically sinned. In Genesis 8, or I'm sorry, chapter 3, starting in verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. That right there is the exact opposite of worship. They hid themselves. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord called and said, Adam, where are you? So he said, I heard the voice, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. There was no fear and shame until sin came into the world, but you and I do not have to live under that because Jesus has paid the ultimate price on the cross, and guess what? You and you and you and you are the righteousness of Christ in Jesus. And that is great news. Y'all still with me? All right. Last point. I'm doing pretty good. When do we worship? Psalm 34, 1 through 4. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I'm gonna say a statement to you this morning. Sometimes I don't feel like worshiping. Sometimes you don't feel like worshiping. Is that the truth? Can we be transparent? Did I just say that? I said it in church. Sometimes we don't feel like worshiping. But you know what you need to do when you don't feel like worshiping? You need to command your soul to worship. Paige sang it in worship this morning. She says, awake my soul. Sometimes you need to tell your soul, your suke, your flesh, rise up and worship the living God. It doesn't matter how I feel. You know, I don't know if y'all know this about me, but I literally hate winter. I love everything there is about summer. Summer is glorious. It's from heaven, the barbecue grill, the the, the swimming pool, the whole deal, the burgers outside. I mean, it's just like, that's what, he- all of you who like, I'm just so sorry. I, don't, I just don't understand how y'all like winter. Like Jeff, 
you know, he's one of my best friends in the whole world. He loves winter. But I get up, and I'm like, the garage is full of dirt. It's blowing 4,000 miles outside. Everything's dead. And I don't, I don't know what there is to like about it. I don't. And so I don't know what he said, but it ain't right. I know that. <laughs> but there's days when you get up, and you just don't feel like worshiping God. And I'm telling you, those can be the most powerful moments of worship. The moments where you command your soul to worship him. The Bible actually talks about it. Psalm 43 says, verse 4, Then I will go to the altar of God, to, my, to God, who is my exceeding joy. On the harp I will praise you. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? We've all felt that way. We've all felt cast down and just, just, just don't want to do it. But he ends it like this. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the hope of my countenance. I want to share with you this morning the two greatest times of worship that I've ever had in my life. I remember them vividly, and neither of those times happened in a place that looked anything like this. There was no pretty piano music. There was no lights and screen and all that stuff. Because the truth is, worship's not about any of that. Worship's about the heart, (laughs) and God wants our heart. My first time is I was in, I referenced it earlier, I was in Argentina. And we started in the big city at the big mega church, and everything was awesome and on fire. And then we went down as the week went on to smaller and smaller villages until we ended up in a place I can't even remember the name of, to be honest with you. And we were supposed to go to church. And this building was just absolutely nothing to look like. It was concrete, walls, floor, no floor coverings. It was just pretty ratty, honestly. And we walk in there, and in my American pride, I had these thoughts, and I thought. I I saw all of you who own a Casio keyboard. Forgive me. I'm sorry. It's nothing against you. But they had the little short Casio keyboard with the speakers, You know, it might be fine for home, but in a worship service, you need something a little more than that. The drums, it looked like they're from Walmart. And you remember the old boom box with the tomb speakers, you know, used to carry in the 80s when everything was awesome? Yeah, that was their sound system. And it was sitting on a table in, in front of that little keyboard and drum set. And I walked in, and in my pride, I said this in my mind. I said, full of sarcasm, this is gonna be good. This right here is fixing to be awesome, I can tell. I didn't mean a word of that. They began, it sounded just like I thought it was going to sound. And then something happened. The Holy Spirit came into that room. And it began to where I could no longer stand to my feet. And I bowed down. And then that wasn't low enough either. And my eyes 
I couldn't even open them because the presence of the Lord was so strong and I couldn't look at something so holy because I had never experienced the presence of God, anything like that in my entire life. I began, I remember it because I then I laid prostrate on the floor and I was weeping and I couldn't stop crying. I mean, just weeping, like uncontrollably weeping. I've never cried like that in my entire life and I wept. And I know this is gross, but my, my face was smashed and just wet into this concrete. And I couldn't get my face any lower to the ground. I, I just, there was, I wanted to be so low because something so wonderful and so holy had just walked into the room. And I felt, I felt like I laid there for an hour. I know it was a minimum of at least 30 minutes. But my pride was gone after that moment. And I thought, you know what? It's not about a building or a sound system or a fancy screen or any of that stuff. It's about the presence of God, people that are hungry for his presence. And God walked in to that room. I'll never, ever, ever forget that moment. The second time is a few years before I moved here, I did something stupid. Imagine that. My wife was out of town, so I thought I would trim all the trees. And so, long story short, I fell 14 feet onto concrete out of a pecan tree that's about 60 years old in my front yard. And I broke both bones in my wrist, and I broke my back. I was in the hospital three weekends in a row. And by the way, as a full-time worship pastor, Three Sundays in a row is a big deal to not be there. <laughs> and so I just was not doing well. I was having a lot of trouble with all that stuff. And, and it was Sunday morning, the third week in a row. I was still in the hospital, and no nurses were in the room. It was about 1030 in the morning, and I thought, well, they're having church without me. Here I am, stupid hospital. And then just something happened. I began to think, you know, Lord, and I just began to cry. And I said, if I never get to go back on that platform and lead people into worship, it's okay. If I never get to go back into church and do it from up there, it's all right because it doesn't matter where I am or if anybody's in front of me, I am still going to be blessing the name of the Lord my God because you are so, so good. And it was just like an aha moment for me. I didn't need any of this ever again to be satisfied. I knew that he was enough. If you've never had an aha moment in his presence, I'm telling you, let me say it this way. Sometimes... The greatest beauty of worship can come out of the darkest places in our life. Places of difficulty can release the beauty and the fragrance of the Lord. I want to end with this story today. I've told this story before, but it's worthy of telling again. There was a man named Horatio Spafford. He was a lawyer in Chicago. In 1871, Horatio lost his only son in the great fires of Chicago. He was left 
with four daughters and his wife. Two years after that, they were to go on vacation in Europe, and he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of them and was to catch up in a few days. The ship that the wife and four daughters were on went down, and all four daughters perished. He got a telegram with only two words on it from his wife, and it said, saved alone. So he got on a ship and was headed to England to meet up with his wife. And he asked the captain to show him where the ship had gone down in the middle of the sea. The captain awoke him in the middle of the night and took him to the mast of the ship so that he could look where his family had perished. He took out a pen and he wrote down these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot thou taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well with my soul fresh touch of God's spirit today we're going to open up these altars and I'm telling you don't hesitate come let someone agree with you today let someone pray with you today if you've been snared by the fear of man there's no shame today come and let that be broken off of you if you've somehow found yourself either here in the sound of my voice <laughs> and you have not yet made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and your personal Savior, do not hesitate. Do not leave here today without doing it. Come. You come to the altar today. If you have found yourself numb in the past season, the past couple of years, overwhelmed, and you just need a fresh touch of the Spirit of God, come. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have a time of worship and we're just going to open the altar up. Oh, Lord God, we love you. We thank you that you're moving in the house today. Holy Spirit, do what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Church at Bushland. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on Facebook and Instagram, by using the Church at Bushland, 
and on Twitter by using at TCA Bushland.